Aloha, everyone. My name is Christina Lenimitri, and this is Smart Living Hawaii's podcast where we discuss smart technology, smart business, uh, sustainability, and healthy lifestyles. Today, we'll continue our Sustainable Leaders series, and we're going to have a talk story with Quinn Vidham. He's the Executive Director of Reuse Hawaii. Uh, we will learn about construction and the huge carbon footprint it leaves behind, from demolition to new build, its waste is massive, and we must find solutions to this problem. Thanks to Quinn and his team, they are paving the path for our future here in Hawaii. And um, thanks so much, Quinn, for joining us. Aloha. Thanks, Christina. Aloha. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, before I get started, I'm just going to give a quick bio, and then we could dive into our um, talk story. Uh Quinn Vidham, he is the executive director of Reuse Hawaii, as I mentioned. He co-founded the organization in 2006 after founding a Habitat for Humanity Restore and Olympia Salvage, an independent nonprofit, both in Washington state. Quinn's life mission is to create a more sustainable world by helping create innovative solutions to the demolition and disposal paradigm. With a talented staff of 37 people, Quinn oversees Reuse Hawaii's deconstruction and material redistribution programs, including a recent expansion to Hawaii Island. Quinn studied fine art and sustainability at SUNY New Paltz, the University of New Hampshire and Evergreen State College. As the Omidyar Fellow and through his work with the Hawaii Leadership Forum, Quinn aims to help Hawaii navigate its waste management challenges and develop a more robust circular economy in our state. Quinn sits on the board of directors of Hemic Insurance, I know them, Hawaii's largest workers compensation insurance carrier. He lives in Kaimuki with his wife, Kara, and five-year-old son, Skylar. So, welcome. There so, now that we have an understanding a little bit more about Quinn, um, how about we just dive a little bit deeper on your background? Because I see that you're not from here and a lot of people that do come to Hawaii um, and bring innovation and bring um, a lot of this sustainability is like they're bringing it to Hawaii. Um, and it's awesome to see that, um, those gifts coming to here. Um, so tell me how you got here and how you got into this space of sustainability. Wow, it's a big question to kick it off with. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, you know, always had an interest in trying to figure out how to make the world a better place and um, did a lot of kind of research in college, trying to kind of figure out um, how we can create a more sustainable world. And um, it had a lot of great opportunities. I did a study abroad in India and uh, explored intentional communities and in India and other places and um, just to see what other folks were doing to um, kind of tap into a more um, uh, more holistic lifestyle and, and uh, sustainable practices and uh, learned a lot about natural building and all these things. Um, and when I moved to uh, Washington State, 
I uh, went to Evergreen State College and um, in the summer I worked for an architectural salvage company called Second Use. They're still around, great organization. And um, so kind of cut my teeth at Second Use learning how to salvage material and um, bring it back to the warehouse and redistribute it to the community as an affordable resource. It, it was just so fun and um, kind of addictive in a way just to, um, wake up every day and be able to recover things from the waste stream and and um i make it uh you know make it a, a reusable resource so um yeah and then i uh like you mentioned went on to start two of my own uh enterprises uh a habitat for humanity restore and then a organization called olympia salvage um and then in 2006 um I uh, came out here to help start Reuse Hawaii with Selena Tarantino and some other people um, that wanted to try and figure out how we can uh, cultivate a more circular economy in Hawaii. Um, as an island community, it's obvious we have some real challenges to, um, to how we manage our waste and our resources and our land and um, keeping stuff out of landfill is kind of number one. So. Um, and uh, we can get into deconstruction and what we came up with, but uh, that's the quick and dirty. Awesome. So what do you do for fun outside of reclaiming <laughs> houses? <laughs> um, uh, actually, lately, it's been uh, working with my son, who's five, uh, working with the salvage material, like building stuff and playing with drills and and just, you know, uh, getting him familiar with woodworking and stuff. It's, it's really fun. Five is a, it's a really interesting age where they, you know, really start to figure out how to use their hands and do like, um, some creative stuff. So yeah, I know my son's three and he has this like little plastic decker, um, or whatever set. And it's like not real, but it, it still has like a drill thing and it makes it like drill the the little thing down so he understands the concepts and it's like putting things together but it's not really <laughs> but he's three so I'm like I don't know he writes he rides electric bikes and everything but um I don't know about power tools yet yeah yeah you give them a couple of years it's amazing they they grow up quick yeah so um that's good to see because the next generation it's kind of handing down like everything that we've learned and, you know, kind of getting it into the hands of our youth is huge. And, you know, just, man, just typical things to do, right? I mean, things like this, it's like you're building things and you're, you know, hands-on. I feel like it's skipped a generation of, you know, just getting that dynamic with the younger generation. Like, they're on computers and technology and and they 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 aren't out there doing these things with their hands and like outside and you know building or you know just learning the way I guess we did when we grew up you know so it's just it's neat to see this next generation I feel like our age I don't know if you're Gen X or I'm not too sure it's probably Gen X I don't know how old you are but um it's like now that we have our kids, it's like the things that we remember growing up as a kid, it's like we want to instill that in our kids, which we just see the people right before us, you know, like the kids right before, after us, they're like, oh, they didn't get that science. So 
you know, it's an interesting um, layer of, of how are things unfolding. So back into Reuse Hawaii, um, maybe we can talk about your mission and the goals that you have and the things that you do at Reuse Hawaii first. And then we can kind of break down those those things like the deconstruction and things like that. That would be good. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so at its core, um, we have a, a waste crisis in Hawaii. Uh, the landfills are closing. Uh, we have, you know, pretty robust market in construction where there's a lot of activity and uh, we a statewide we produce about 600,000 tons of construction material and 30% um, of our waste overall waste stream uh, is construction material so it's the largest uh, single contributor um, and uh, a lot of that material is actually reusable or recyclable if we think about how we're doing the demolition work. So that's what we started with back in 2006, developing an alternative to demolition that we call deconstruction uh, instead of smashing buildings down with an excavator and sending it all to a landfill. Uh, we take buildings apart in the opposite order that they're built, um, looking at uh, what was um, put in last, uh, we take out first and uh, deconstruct the buildings and uh, piece by piece. And, um, you know, it's it's such a contrast from from demolition and uh, some some industry folks you know, have a hard time getting their head around it because there's a demolition paradigm where you just how you take a house down is you just smash it down. But we're trying to kind of change that mindset and show people what's possible. And so you know, a lot, there's a lot of single wall houses, um, you know, built in uh, the 1950s and 60s that just aren't suitable for a lot of families. And so they take them down to build something bigger, maybe for mul multiple generations to live in. And um, so we um, help folks with that and uh, deconstruct the buildings. And a lot of times they're sentimental houses too. So it feels good to if your dad or grandfather built the house, it feels good not to just smash it down. Um, yeah, and so the it's redwood a lot of the times, right? Right, exactly. Redwood, old growth Douglas fir, things that you wouldn't be able to find unless you salvaged it from an old house. Yeah. So, and then the homeowner gets a tax deduction for the value of all the salvage material. Um, so it's a huge benefit for them. Um, in fact, most folks after they receive their tax benefit, spend less doing their deconstruction as they would uh, if they dem uh, demolished. Um, so it's uh, it just feels good to have you know have a green alternative that actually pays off. Um, yeah. And uh, and then you know just there's the job creation and we also recover tremendous amounts of lumber and things that have a lot of uh, what's called embodied energy. So all the energy that was originally invested into a material, say like a two by four rafter, we not only recover the waste and keep it out of the, the landfill, but we also um, recover all the energy that was originally invested to make it in the first place, thereby preventing the, the need to consume more energy to make new products. So there's a lot of kind of deeper benefits to the, to the circular economy and the work that we're trying to do. Yeah. 
Sorry if you can hear my dog. He's rolling at someone's oh, door. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so the other thing too that I really want, and I really want this to get out because it's similar to solar, right? It's the idea of getting that tax break to where the numbers make sense. And anytime there's a way to take advantage of that as a household or family um, where the numbers make sense to do things more sustainably, then it's just a matter of getting that information out there, right? And so then they have that opportunity. And I mean, hands down, I can guarantee you that if you're going to get the same results, um, but you're bettering the environment and it's a little bit cheaper, uh, I think everybody's going to say yes to it. Like, you know, even if it's going to take a little more time, I mean, it doesn't take that much more time, but if it does, I mean, that's the hugest thing. So at this point in time, I know you guys are the only ones doing this, but if we get this out and it becomes a common thread, like a common option for people and they know about it and they understand, I think, I mean, I, before I talked to you, I honestly thought it was going to cost more and take way more time. Mm -hmm. So it just, I could understand like not even really presenting it as an option to people who are on a strict budget, right? But now it's like, it kind of opens the doors to like, let's let everybody know about this because it's a viable option now. So that's what I'm really excited about. Um, that's why solar is taken off so well here um, because there's all these options for people who may not have originally been able to afford it. And when it comes down through, you know, more of like a luxury option down to mainstream and across the board, everybody could do it, then that's when it just starts snowballing. So I'm excited for you guys. And I'm, I believe it's going to pick up and I think it may even be mandated, right? Because um, some places are, and I have um, a friend in Palo Alto. I think I was telling you about that. I didn't look up all the details, but she did say she helped um, make it. It's a law now in Palo Alto that they have to deconstruct and it is no longer an option to even demol you know, demolish. So then it also builds and creates jobs, right? So maybe you could talk about that um, with your workforce um, development and the stuff that you're doing um, with your team. That's, that's an interesting one too. Definitely. Yeah. Well, actually two great points there, Christina, the um, legislation's an interesting piece that uh, we've seen in other cities like Palo Alto, like you mentioned, Portland, Oregon, San Antonio, um, other places that um, just put more of an emphasis on waste reduction from construction projects and it can make a huge impact. So there might be some um, legislators this coming year that are going to work on some solutions that work for, for everybody building industry, um, homeowners, um, um, and, uh, and possibly help create a bigger industry around deconstruction. Um, in Portland, it's fascinating that the equivalent to reuse Hawaii out there is called the rebuilding center. And, um, they stopped doing deconstruction because there, there's all these private contractors that popped up out of the ordinance that the city created. Um, and so it's a great example of what um, some policy can do to, to you know, create a more sustainable community. So, so now those other companies, so like it would be like you would be the hub where they bring everything to and then other companies would kind of pop up to do 
that side of to, to carry that load. Exactly. Yeah, because there's a huge, huge amount of demolition deconstruction work and we wouldn't be able to do it all ourselves anyway. So we need other players. Um, and so, yeah, we, we could funnel the material through our um, our warehouse in Kaka'aka, which we should talk more about. Um, but there's also the the Habitat for Humanity Restores and there's other groups like Nautical Housing Corporation that take in donated material. Um, there's partners in care that need furniture for the, the apartments they outfit for folks transitioning out of houselessness. And so lots of needs and um, yeah, and um, opportunity. So then on the workforce development side, you know, to do all this deconstruction, we need to, you know, there needs to be people that are trained up and able to do that. And so a couple of three years ago, we started a workforce development uh, program initially partnering with Kupu, uh, which is a nonprofit that does a lot of conservation work and has really well-structured internship programs. Yeah, we have and, a podcast with them, with John. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, nice. Yeah. Of course. Um, and, yeah. and Honolulu Habitat for Humanity and kind of a lot of the people that you've you know, mentioned too. So you could always check the waste, the waste uh, stream and landfills we had that we had recycling so there's a lot of things that you can kind of ducktail off of this one if you want to learn more yeah yeah michael key from END, the city and nicole chatterson from zero waste yeah great episode so thanks for doing this for everyone christina um so our workforce development program is um is uh, really taking shape in fact we're in a, a accelerator program called red f and they're uh, training us to um, how to make bigger impacts around our workforce development. Uh, it's a Bay Area based program. And uh, yeah, and so uh, we uh, have participants come through and uh, work on our team and learn about, you know, everything from tool use to teamwork to materials. Um, and, uh, you know, some of them are uh, younger folks that we work through the city youth services uh, program. And so they're just here to get work experience. And we also support folks that are um, transitioning out of being in prison. And so that's been really helpful. We work with the furlough programs and uh, give folks opportunities. And in fact, they've been, they've been great team members and we promoted a few of them. And, um, and so, Is yeah. It like a trade um, like program where they like learn a certain skill set and then they're then able to go out, like put that on their resume and have that kind of certification or something. Exactly. Yeah. We do forklift training. And I think the job experience is probably the biggest one. Um, folks that just have the opportunity to learn deconstruction and be on a team and, you know, have stuff on their resume that um, where they would be able to um, get a, you know, job down the line or you know join the yeah. union or whatever it might be so that's the idea and then with a focus on folks that have barriers to employment um i think we'd all be really surprised about the um the barriers that um folks that have been in prison have to getting jobs so um, we want to uh, kind of break that down and, and change it for them so that's awesome um let's see i think you also have other things that you guys do, I know you're talking about the hotel industry. Um, that's an interesting one because obviously economy wise, we have a lot of tourism 
and um, a demand for nicely renovated places that are not run down. <laughs> but then it's like, you when it comes to waste, and I think this is across the board, it's like if it's out of sight, out of mind, then nobody really thinks about it, right? So then you're just like, oh, I didn't think about where it went. But here is um, another one that is actually a lot of stuff um, when a hotel is being renovated. So maybe you could dive into that one a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there was a time when the hotel furniture was like kind of cheesy rattan or just stuff that maybe was good, but like not like really appealing. But now um, it's there's some uh, really great furniture that hotels need to clear out and replace with other stuff. Um, so, in fact, every five to eight years, hotels generally do a, a refresh of the furniture or they call it FF and E. Um, and so think about all the resorts and hotels. It re represents a huge uh, potential waste stream, but we'd like to look at it as a resource for the community. Um, so uh, our first big hotel project was in 2020. Um, and uh, we worked with um, uh, East West Partners. They were the manager for the uh, the Princeville Resort um, up in uh, on Kauai. And it's now one hotel, which has uh, gotten a lot of, um, press around just how awesome the sustainable it one right is that the yeah, sustainable uh, one yeah a lot of a uh, lot of you know uh, things that they did with the design that helps with sustainability for sure um yeah and so think, we were um so the albizia project group um they worked on i think their gym and a lot of the the furniture building out with with albizia which okay. is really cool um, but yeah, I, I needed to look more into that. I was supposed to do a podcast with them, but we just, it slips our time. So I gotta get, I gotta get on it. Cause it's, nice. it seemed like a pretty cool hotel. So yeah, I'm glad job. that they're using you. That's awesome. Yeah. So we are contracted to uh, liquidate the, the old Princeville uh, resort, uh, which had been the St. Regis and pe people refer to as that. Um, yeah, and 250 rooms of really great quality furniture and all the back of house stuff from the kitchen. And it was loads and loads. In fact, we had to get an overflow warehouse because we couldn't fit it all in our place in Kaka'aka. Um, but most importantly, we did, a, because it was 2020 and Kauai was, you know, really shut down and mm -hmm. you know, it was difficult for a lot of folks. And um so we did a community give back campaign. So about a third of all the furniture and material went to uh, local nonprofits and community groups. Um, so like there was a, uh, for example, the, um, the Hawaiian homelands families took all the mattresses, which is great. Um, there was a women's shelter that took a bunch of bedding and stuff. And How do you do part. that? Do you disinfect the mattresses or do they just take them? People just yeah, take I mean, these I mean, it's a five-star hotel, so these happen to be really nice. They had like the zipper top that you could take off and wash, and they were clean. And if there was any that kind of were weren't in good shape, we we didn't donate those, but most of them were good. So I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the the there was two baby grand pianos, and they went to the local charter school on Kauai, which I just thought was cool. I bet they're playing them right now, so. That's awesome. 
So they basically contracted you guys out to take everything and deconstruct whatever internally. And then um, you're not paying for any of this stuff. It's just like you, you're getting paid to take it all out and then do something with it. And then yes. they get a donation. Do they do do big corporations get a huge tax break as well? Yeah. So all the material that we recover, no matter the project, is considered a tax deductible donation receipt uh, uh, donation, um, and they get a receipt for that. And um, so at the end of the project, um, depending on their tax strategy and their tax brackets and all that, they'll they can get a um, tax benefit. And so, yeah, I believe that um, the owners out there benefited greatly from that because it was, you know, tremendous value in terms of donation. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about your location? Like, let's talk about when you deconstruct, like where it all goes and where you're at in Kaka'ako and um, what you do there. Cool. Yeah, thank you. So the uh, our we call it our redistribution center because it's it's really about like you can salvage material all day long, but until you redistribute it to somebody that can use it, you haven't really completed the mission. So our redistribution center in Kakaako is uh, actually forty thousand square feet, um, and it's stocked with all kinds of goodies: uh, doors and windows, plumbing and electrical fixtures, lots of lumber lots of TNG redwood, um, we have appliances. Um, there's a whole hardware section with a, with a tool area of old tools that were donated. And um, so people love it. I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners have been and um, continue to come back because every time you come, it's something different and new. And uh, so we, we really appreciate the, um, the, the following that we have about 42,000 folks signed up in our system as, as reusers. So. It's really awesome, um, and uh, we serve about four thousand people every uh, every month, and um, we're able to redistribute um, tremendous amounts of material that would otherwise end up in the landfill. So, um, yeah, and there's also a, the Honolulu Tool Library inside reuse. So, for folks that don't have tools, you can sign up as a member with them. We have a podcast have with Ben on that one. Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know we got we I, I was um interested in their um, three D printing and because they got that and they had like a um a laser printer and I was wanting to put like my logos um on top of these um cutting boards that I had that were wood. So I was like, oh, oh you guys do that? It's so awesome! It's yeah. Cool. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So yeah. So yeah, so so folks know about Tool Library, and you know it's membership based. I think there's uh, 250-ish members, and they also do workshops on the weekends. This weekend, there's a um, make a spoon workshop. I think out of Walnut, so folks can get a chance to learn how to use tools under supervision. Uh, you know, figure out the safety around it and all that. So, um, so that's been cool. tools, which is kind of cool. Um, I think that's a big thing now with a lot of people in condos and not having a tool shed and not having, um, I mean, the need of having all of that too, right? I mean, does everybody really need to have all those things? No, they don't. And, and that keeps down all of this, you know, that goes to waste at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. 
Uh, let's see. What about trees? I this was a new one to me. I did not know you guys um dealt with trees, but it's good to know and how that works. Yeah, well, it's an interesting story. I when I was in Washington State, a friend of mine did. Um, he milled windfall trees. A company is called Windfall, and uh, I always thought, wow, what a great thing. We just never had the equipment or the systems for it. Yeah. So in uh, 2018, um, I was driving on Punchbowl and at the Capitol campus, uh, there was an arborist taking down this giant tree, it was ear pod. So it's like monkey pod, similar. And um, so I pulled over because it just was obvious that this was great resource and, um, and they didn't have plans for it. Um, so they brought it over here and um, we partnered with a local miller to do a pilot project. We took in eight trees and milled them up and redistributed them uh, to folks. Um, basically, it's live edge slabs. So you just cut two inch slabs and it keep the live edge on. And folks get creative to build desks or shelving or um, benches, all kinds of different things with it, dining tables. Um, and uh, so, of course, it was a hit. Um, and we did some. Uh, fundraising and got a grant from uh, the Kosasa Family Foundation and um, then set up, got a, acquired our mill and um, also got a sponsorship from Hunt Development um, who gave us our tree milling yard because we didn't have space here in Kakaako. That's on the west side. And um, yeah, it's been great. We're, um, you know, currently uh, putting out the message that we're accepting tree donations and it's another tax deductible donation. So if folks don't have plan, there's a lot of like um, uh, trees in backyards that unfortunately people need to take down if they're doing a construction project. Um, so that happens. There's road work um, where trees get taken down. There's also a lot of conservation related um, trees that are removed. Um, so, um, so we're trying to tap into those and of course want to make sure that any trees in the urban environment that can remain are kept and taken care of because it's super important. But, what about um, trees that are dying? Are those still salvageable? Yeah, sometimes it depends on how long they've been rotting. Because I had a, we had a, this is a crazy story, but like a week before we were closing, um, I don't know if I, I told you I'm in real estate, right? But a week before we we're closing on a property and it was in Waimanalo, um, there was a stream. It has lots of trees. It's almost like an arboretum. Like it just, they planted over the years, so many different exotic trees on this property. And it's like, it's like you could walk through it and see all these interesting types of trees. But um they have so many trees that maybe weren't necessarily tended to, and they were so big, right? And this one, literally a week before we closed, we were representing the buyer, the tree like falls down across the stream over to the next house um, property and makes this huge bridge. I mean, the tree is literally in diameter, like taller than me, I would say almost like, you know, uh, not diameter, like the, yeah, diameter. Um, so I was just like, you could literally walk across and get over. It kind of totally damaged their yard in the front area. And oh, it was boy. like probably $30,000 worth of damage. And I was just like, thank God this happened before. 
work for our clients because yeah. it would have been their responsibility oh, so boy. yeah um the seller did have to take care of all of that but along that it took four more trees down because oh, it knocked yeah. all that down right it's yeah. going across um they did haul out stuff and i don't know exactly to what extent but i'm just thinking like like there's a lot of these trees right that are like unsafe or like they look like they're dying like what do you do with them are they still salvageable if they are like that's a interesting thing to know like and yeah. how would you know how would you know with you guys does someone come and check them or do you just come and get them or what do yeah, you do you usually have to cut it down to, to really see what you're working with in terms of millability but um yeah it, it's ideal to for a tree to be um wet when you when you mill it so um the dead trees are a little bit hard but we should explore it and um i'm curious what they did with that one it probably went to green so that's my plan of it <laughs> they probably just cut it off at the edge and i don't know if they did anything i mean it is so big i don't think they removed it I, but i oh, i think okay. they just salvaged the the person's yard but i could be wrong i don't know i <laughs> But yeah, it was a huge tree. So anyways, I was just curious about that because there is a lot. I mean, in our industry, obviously in sustainability, our whole goal is to plant trees and to save trees. But if you can't, um, or there needs to come down or safety wise, then um, it's nice to know that there's an option besides just taking it to, I guess, the incinerator or where else, right? Where does it go? Does, yeah, sometimes it's it. I don't be know close to green waste or um you know worst case it actually goes to the landfill which can happen you know folks co-mingle um material in a dumpster um but yeah with like monkey pod mango i mean there's even talk with joey from albizia project i mean there's a lot of uses for some of the invasive trees that we see um so just the idea is to create more resources that are already here so we're not shipping in new stuff unnecessarily. Right, for sure. Um, let's see. We also have some other things. Do you have any, maybe we can talk a little bit about um, deconstruction, like the types of things that you cannot salvage i i like that's good to know just so people know in their minds like um when you are doing deconstruction these are the things that actually do end up in the landfills or incinerator i don't know depends on what the product is yeah right um yeah so uh there's such an array of different projects i, I think from the commercial side we see the most challenge in uh, you know, our acceptance policy matching up with what's on site. Um, for example, um, acoustic ceiling tiles are everywhere and get taken down all the time. Um, you know, the drop ceiling in an office or something. Um, so we looked into like shipping them because the manufacturers of them have recycling programs, but it's really designed for the mainland, you know, for the mm -hmm. continent. And, um, and when if you put in the shipping costs back to, I think we had to take it to Portland, Oregon, um, that, that's closest port to their recycling facility. It just didn't pencil out um, the Pacific Guardian um, project. So 
Um, that's a challenge. Uh, drywall is also, there's a lot of drywall. We can't do anything with it. There's ways to reuse and recycle cutoffs from new drywall, but if it's painted and has spackle on it and stuff, it's a little more difficult. Um, um, of course, old carpet is also a problematic. Um, and and then the last thing would be, well, there are two more things. There's uh, Koenig ceilings, which were like a ceiling insulation material that was used, um, um, you know, uh, 1930 to 1960-ish around there. Um, and it's it was probably a good use of like the sugar cane pulp that they had as a byproduct, but um, they also put arsenic in it and it's just it's just bad yeah. stuff. So well it's just uh, like popcorn ceilings. What about that? Like uh what if you come across a popcorn ceiling that was built before 1980 or whatever? Like what do you guys do? Do you guys actually test it or do you guys just act like it is or asbestos? Uh, yeah, so with asbestos, we have to do samples and then uh, if there's, um, we call it ACM, asbestos containing material, then we have to have an abatement contractor come in and do that work um, and monitor the air and clear it for our, for our crew to come back in. Um, there's also lead paint in older houses, which is, um, you know, probably our bigger concern around hazardous material. Um, you know, if it's flaking and peeling and unstable, we can't, we can't save it. It's just too, uh, lead is, you know, just hazardous to human health. We don't want um, to have that back out into the community. So that, that has to get, um, get landfilled, unfortunately, so. But, um, but overall, like, I think the operative point is that from a single wall house, typical project, we can recover 70% of the overall volume of material. So it's a good, it's a good place to be. We, there's a lot of opportunity to recover the material than just that 30% that um, we have to do something else with. And sometimes it's metal, like, you know, conduit or piping that we can recycle. But then there's a, a, some residual stuff that has to go to landfill. Then when it comes to, um, oh, shoot, totally slipped my mind. On um, deconstruction and um, let's see. Oh, I was totally, is that the tip of my tongue too? Shucks, I, it will come back to you, I know. <laughs> Because I was going to ask this other question, but it made me think about something else. Um, I will circle back around to that when I when it comes to mind. But um, let's see. I want to make sure we cover all these things. Is there any other things that you're thinking of? I'm looking through my list here. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think what I touched on it a little bit, just the, the idea of a circular economy which is really kind of the broader purpose and mission that we're all trying to work towards. Um, so there's kind of three main components of circular economy. Um, one is regenerating natural systems. And like, so like the work that Kuku does around conservation. Um, there's also designing out waste and pollution, um, which is a big one that we're we're in touch with the as you know the design community architects interior designers to think about you know how they're designing buildings so that we can pay 
attention to um, sustainability in general. Um, and uh, it could also mean like packaging and different things like that, that affect the waste stream and sort of designing our, um, our consumption so that we're not creating too much waste. Um, and then there's the third part, which we fit into, which is keeping uh, products and material in use. Um, and uh, it's a great, it's just such an awesome opportunity to, that we have to um, put in the circular economy. And it comes at a really important time too, because of this whole landfill crisis. Um, the landfills are closing in 2028. Um, both landfills at the same time so it's kind of a perfect storm there's pvt landfill it takes construction material they were unable to uh, implement their expansion plan so they decided to shut down and then there's wamanala gulch which is um, um you know up the hill from koalina um not to be confused with wamanala um and uh it it's been th that landfill has been been an issue for quite a quite a while um leachate problems uh, general management problems um so um i think it was slated to close like a, quite a while ago so it's it's kind of co finally come due and the, the city um is now faced with trying to find where a new landfill can go and um i think mike kind of touched on that but it's not an easy <laughs> not an easy yeah. task uh, on so a there's no solution as of as what we speak right now, as from my understanding. <laughs> I, I think that's correct. Yeah, there's no place to where you're the solution. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's kind of my point and how I got on that is like, you know, best to kind of work on um, how we can uh, reduce the need for a landfill. Um, so uh, so we're our team here. We're just we're just thrilled to be um, such a big part of. The sustainability of the community because waste has now risen to kind of a huge huge piece of it all so yeah so i did have a couple um things too i know that we had mentioned because we kind of crossed paths as um as a uh, guest speakers a couple weeks ago and you had mentioned about the pilot program and kuapakori uh, maybe you can share a little bit about that because um, we didn't really too much talk into legislation, but when you guys kind of are going down that road of creating laws for this, um, the hurdles that you guys face, and then hopefully some of the things that come from it, even if the bill isn't passed, like just the awareness of it then creates some potential pilots and things like that. So maybe you can share a little bit about that story. Right. Um, yeah, so the idea is we have all these transfer stations, right, where the city collects waste and then uh, just distributes it to either the landfill or H power. And there's a bit, there's a huge missed opportunity to give residents an option to donate reusable material. Um, before they dump it into the pit at the transfer station. Or so just we, dump it on the side of the road or right. whatever, because they're going to have to pay for it or whatever the case may be. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so we started discussions with ENB, the Environmental Services Department of the city. And of course, they're excited about it because their mission is to to address this, this problem. And um, 
And so with support from the city council, in particular, Chair Waters, really interested in this concept, they um, uh, introduced a budget amendment and then uh, um, passed the, the initiative to uh, do a pilot project for setting up a collection site at Kapa'a Quarry Transfer Station. Um, so we're going to do it for three to six months and um, have an attendant up there and uh, a container or box truck and, um, and folks can um, pull in and donate material. It could be household, it could be building materials, it could be furniture. Um, and then we'll re uh, redistribute to Goodwill Industries for like shoes and clothes and that kind of stuff. And then the building materials will come, will come to Kaka'aka and we'll sort them. So do you kind of look, does your attendant look at the actual items and say, we can take this, this, and this, and then they just take it and then the rest goes to the dump? Is that kind of how it goes? Yeah, yeah. We'll have to be pretty specific about what we can take um, just because we don't want to be stuck with uh, material that folks don't want and we can't redistribute, so... Because there's like but companies I, like Junkman, Aloha Junkman, and just different companies that are hauling out stuff from houses like left and right. But then they're having to, like, I know they personally like take things to different places because they know like this could be salvageable or this can be gifted or this. So you guys might actually be almost like, is it like a one-stop shop? Like you're saying, like people with just household things like they could come to you and then you guys sort it sorry exactly yeah i mean the the transfer stations are meant to be a convenience center and if you can't donate the reusable material it's just, you know not quite where we want it to be especially if we're trying to think about the circular economy and also the mindsets around waste you know because we stood at the pit um, with the env guys and we're watching it's like furniture and somebody had a um like a, a whole stack of home depot five gallon buckets in good condition yeah just all, all these kind of things that just should like be. you're like going through the trash like wait a minute i could take yeah. all that <laughs> exactly yeah no it's look not. at silly no. at my store it's painful even the the folks that work at the transfer station it's just uh you know, it's just a brutal um, experience when you see the good stuff get thrown out, you know. So yeah. we're really excited about that. I think it's going to roll out early next year. And uh, we'll do, we'll have a report and lots of media around it. And um, awesome. And the idea is to continue it forward and have um, one of these sites at all the major transfer stations. So like think Middle Street and probably the one over in Wamanala would be a good spot as well. So um, stay tuned, lots of developments. Um, I did want to give a shout out to uh, my alma mater, Roosevelt High School, because you did talk about that at the uh, time we met and what you did there. And to me, it's like, a lot of the things that you can reclaim and when you're doing these things, you don't even think about it. I mean, when someone says they're renovating the bleachers or the the, the gym of a place, you're not really, you're just like, you think of an empty room, right? Like, I don't know. Like, and you're like, oh yeah, they renovated the gym. And then it's like, wow, that is a lot of waste. If you're then talking about all of the bleachers, like that's a lot of stuff that went out. So maybe you could share that story. 
Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of great aspects to the Roosevelt Gym Project, which we finished uh, six months ago or so. Um, the first is that the architect noticed the bleacher boards and said, hey, wait a minute, this stuff should be recovered. Um, so they put in the specifications for the project that they should be kept out of the waste stream of the project. So that's kind of number one. Ferrara Choi and Associates is the architect. Um, yeah, then we got on site and um, recovered all. It's like a Douglas fir um, from the from the early '60s, so um, also probably some old growth and really great uh, material and has lots of different uses. Um, all 16 foot lengths and stuff, um, and so we brought it all back to the warehouse, and um, we found that. Uh, people have such a connection to the material because they went to school there and, um, you know, wanted a little piece of it. And so you can read it on our Instagram. There's a post about it and folks are commenting on just, there was a one woman who, um, whose sister was like a, a, a basketball coach and ended up um, teaching her daughter how to play basketball in the gym and you know they spend a lot of time in that place and so a like lot sentimental, of yeah, yeah Did, totally. didn't they didn't you guys make some picnic benches or something out of them i can't remember what was the pictures or is that what you yeah, did no. so there, uh, from another gym in pearl city we um we made some uh picnic tables for office of hawaiian affairs where their food truck uh, setup is at where fisherman's wharf was did you make um, one for Pearl City High School or was it for Pearl City High School? <laughs> uh, no, they, yeah, no need on their side. We should have offered though, but um, yeah, it was same, same material, same great stuff. That would have been cool. Yeah. Other times we see like the gym court comes out. There's a lot of folks have used that. Like we did the, the Punahou gym and people still talk about that. It was in 2007. <laughs> so oh. yeah. Awesome. So I think that pretty much wraps up everything. Do you, is there anything else you're thinking of that maybe we didn't cover? But I think I did have a couple stats and this is outside of Hawaii, but um, just so people have a grappling of the construction waste. Um, I, I was going to mention this earlier, but then you threw out some stats just for Hawaii. But um, I found some stats online about um, annually. I think you had mentioned we produce 2.2 million tons of trash. Was that right? A third of that was waste is generated by the construction demolition industry. And then um, let's see, annually, believe it or not, construction waste is expected to reach 2.2 billion tons globally by 2025. I don't know where we're at, but I think these this um, research was done in 2018, so it's kind of dated. So it probably is even higher, who knows? And 23% of the national waste stream is estimated to be construction and demolition waste. Um, so when we're dealing with all of the new construction and new build, um, it doesn't even count for the fact that you're using all these new materials. It's like just before you even get to blanket ground, like it's gonna cost all of this um, through our waste stream that um, we're completely oblivious to. And it's it's so much so that 
Like, I think just even all the third world countries that are building up to, you know, getting closer to doing more. Um, it's not just rural anymore and they're starting to build out cities. I mean, it's astronomical <laughs> what's going to happen, I feel, um, with our carbon footprint, everything that's happening. Um, so yeah, if there's more people like you um, in this world, I think it will be better for our earth. So thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thanks, Christine. I really appreciate it. No, thanks. And you know, you asked like, what else? And I think just like for a call to action for people um, would just be simple. Um, come down to reuse and, and, you know, before you shop new for something um, and then spread the word to your friends and family about the opportunities um, for deconstruction as opposed to, um, to demolition. And glad to be talking with you because realtors are also first on the scene when somebody's thinking about doing a demolition. So really appreciate all your support and, and um, helping kind of propel the. the yeah, uh, I think I want to see if we can get you on HBR side and um, in front of realtors, because I think most realtors would not know this, um, but they do have meetings every month in all five regions on Oahu. And they have, um, they always are looking for speakers. And, you know, this I think would be a great topic. I've had um, Vi come and talk on cesspools because that's a hot topic. I mean, these are all things that I, that are like innovative for the real estate industry that they may not know about but it's information that's very valuable to them once they do. So solar and all these things I've kind of, when I was the chair um, from East Walker, you know, I brought a lot of this, this um, space to, to the talking points. So I think you'd be great for that. And I'm going to, I'll pitch it over to them. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. <laughs> um, is there any other volunteer opportunities? Because you guys are a nonprofit, by the way, just so everybody knows it's not just a regular company. Um, are there any volunteer opportunities that people can um, help you out? Yeah, we have volunteers down in our, at our Kakaako uh, Redistribution Center. Um, and um, so uh, great opportunity to come in and help us sort stuff. We also are um, referring volunteers to our neighbors in our warehouse. They're doing the Maui Relief Donation Center. Um, so sorting donations for folks on Maui. So lots of needs over there as well. Awesome. All right. And the best way to reach you guys, uh, Instagram, Facebook, it's at Reuse Hawaii um, on both of those. And reusehawaii.org, right? Um, yep. can look you up on LinkedIn. And if you do want to shoot out an email, you're not so much on social media, I think info at reusehawaii.org. There it is. All Thanks. right. Um, I think that's it. If you guys have any other questions, let me know. But that wraps up everything. Thank you so much, Quinn, for joining us. And that's all I have for you today. Um, thanks so much. And subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghawaii.org. Um, you can check out our podcast there or on any other platform as well and Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, live smart. Aloha.